and my name is Wyatt, and today we are going to be reading Ephesians 2, 12 to 22. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, aligned, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is your peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his ordinances that that he might create his one new man in place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and his body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built in, built on one foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in the in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built in him you are also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thank you for listening to us and have a great day. Thank you, Elijah and Wyatt, and thank you to all the kids and teens who, per, who are participating in the uh, Kids and Teen Takeover Sunday. Uh, the, the kids are the church of today indeed, not just the future. And as I was just observing all our, our young folks uh, just serving and being a part of the body, uh, I was just kind of scrambling to look up a verse that I, that I wanted to share um, to encourage all those young people. It's from 1 Timothy 4.12, and it says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And without a doubt, our, our faith kids and our, our, our teens here absolutely do that. They set an example for the rest of us to follow. So thank you, all kids and teens, for your participation here in this body. Let, let's hear it for them. All right, so again, thank you for sharing that reading with us, Elijah and Wyatt. And um, now that we've taken a bit of time to hear from our missionaries over the past six weeks or so, we're getting back into the good habit of hearing directly from God through the reading of scriptures before the sermons. Now, we do that because the word of God, it impacts our life like nothing else does. It has the power to speak to us each, no matter where we are in life. And the reason the Bible speaks to us, it's because scripture is divinely inspired by the same one who created us. He made us so he knows exactly how to talk to us. Now, another way of saying that the Bible is divinely inspired is to say that it is God breathed. 
Now, just like God breathed the breath of life into Adam back in the garden, and just like Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, today we can receive a new and a transformed life from our God-breathed scripture today. And I like to say that the reading of the word of God, that really is the only perfect part of the worship service, because the word of God is the only perfect thing in this room. And unfortunately for you, that means it's all downhill from here. <laughs> I'm not perfect. Uh, my interpretation, explanation, and um, application of the Word of God is going to be imperfect. And that's why I so desperately want and need you to pray with me and ask for God's grace as we get ready to hear from God from His Word this morning. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would simply cause us to listen to you in a special way this morning as you speak. God, please calm our anxious hearts and our minds and speak to us. And I ask for grace for myself, Lord, as I endeavor to um, to represent your words well. And I ask that by your grace that your word would take root in the lives of those who hear it this morning. God, I ask the message that I ask that the message that we are about to hear about your kingdom that you are building, I ask that it would be like seed falling on fertile ground and that it would grow up to produce just a great crop in your church. God, I ask that our roots would go deep so that we could withstand the trouble that's bound to come. And I ask that you would show us what it is to rightly prioritize your word in our lives. God, cause us to see with just this arresting clarity the weeds of worldliness that tend to grow up and choke out what you seek to produce in our lives through your word. God, just stir up a zeal in us as, as we seek to reorder our lives around your word, around your worship, and around a passionate devotion to your bride, which is the church. And God, I ask that you would thwart the evil one that comes to snatch the seed that is being sown in our hearts. And Lord, we pray with absolute confidence, knowing that when all is said and done, your word will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish exactly what you have willed. So God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond this morning. Amen. All right, so the passage that was read to us from the book of Ephesians, it's about the oneness that we have in Christ. And because of that oneness, we are joined together, and we become the church. And I know just that word church, it brings different things to mind to different people. You know, maybe for you, it's that image of a quaint country church with the steeple, or maybe your mind goes to stained glass windows and sculptures. Um, the church that I went to personally as a kid, it had this raised section of the roof right in the middle of the sanctuary, and it was outfitted with stained glass windows. And as the sun's light just poured into the church, it had this beautiful glow about it. And I thought in my little kid's mind that God had a room up there. He lived in the top of the church, and he just poured forth the light of his glory and just illuminated the whole building. Um, now, you may have a different image that comes to mind, depending on your experience when you think about the church. And in the same way, all kinds of people have different kinds of ideas about the people who come to church. And I, I think that maybe most people who go to church or who view people who go to church think of us as some kind of a subculture, like it's a religious group that gets together um, because we all have a shared interest in Jesus, and we get together in the same way that a book club might get together to talk about a book 
or a sports team would gather together to watch the game. Now, that's what some may believe about the church, but the church is different than all that. The church isn't a building designed by a human architect uh, with God living up at the belfry. And the church is not a common interest club created according to human preference. No, the church was created by Jesus Christ himself. And Paul is trying to communicate this truth to the Ephesians. And since apparently nobody told Paul not to mix his metaphors, he really lays it on thick here. He tells us that the church is like a city, then it's like a family, and then it's like a building. He says, you are fellow citizens in verse 19. He says, members of the household of God. And finally, that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. But this truth wasn't always so for us. We used to be separate from the family of God. Now, Paul reminded us earlier in our natural state that we were once on the outside and we were looking in. He says to the Ephesian Christians, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, the book of Ephesians, as we heard about last week from Pastor Brent, it deals with two people groups. We have the Jews and we have the Gentiles. And the Jews were the nation of Israel. They were God's covenant people. And the way this came about is that God called a man named Abram and he made some promises to him. Now, the central promise or covenant that God made to Abram would be that God would establish his kingdom on earth through Abraham's descendants. It says in Genesis chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this nation of Abraham's descendants, they would be God's people. Jerusalem, their capital, would be God's chosen city. Israel would become God's family. Now, the literal temple where Israel worshipped was the temple where the Spirit of God came to rest. And there were special promises that were related to Israel. And we, the Gentiles, Gentiles just mean non-Jews. So we had the Jews and everyone else. So we, the Gentiles, we were not a part of those promises. We were strangers. We were aliens to that. And in fact, there was a wall of hostility between the Gentiles and the Jews. Now, remember last week, Pastor Brent talked about how if the non-Jews, if they entered the inner courts of the temple, their lives would be forfeit. There was even a sign to say that. So there was indeed a literal wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. But now, in our text today, we read that these two people had become one, and the church is formed. But the church, it wasn't formed just because the Jews and the Gentiles decided to knock down that temple wall and shake hands and just all get along. No, there was actually another wall of separation within the temple that needed to come down first. In the innermost part of the temple, there was this room, it was called the Most Holy Place, And that is where the high priest and only the high priest would go once a year on the day of atonement. And he would make a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. 
And this was a big deal. You know, God said that he would appear in the most holy place. And there was this elaborate purification ritual that the high priest had to go through because God in his perfection, in his holiness, he couldn't occupy the same space as a sinful man. And the other priests, they even went so far as to tie a rope around the waist of the high priest so they could drag him out of the room in case God struck him dead. He had to wash himself. He had to put on special clothes. He had to burn incense. He had to bring sacrificial blood to make atonement for his sins and others. And without this cleansing process, just like the Gentiles couldn't cross the outer wall of division, the high priest, he could not cross through the dividing veil that separated the rest of the temple from the presence of God. So everyone, all the way from the Jewish high priest, all the way down to the lowest Gentile, all had some degree of alienation and separation from God. But when Christ made his sacrifice on the cross, this is where something miraculous happened. We read in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one: at that moment when Christ died, the temple of the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the tearing of that curtain, it makes a very specific point. Now, because of the death of Christ on the cross, man was no longer separated. He was no longer alienated from God. Now, Jew and Gentile alike no longer had to depend on priests to perform this once a year sacrifice on their behalf. Now, both Jew and Gentile alike can approach the holiness of God cleansed and purified because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So he was the sacrifice that paid the sin debt that we owe. And because we're made pure in Christ, we can stand shoulder to shoulder, Jew and Gentile in the presence of God. And that's what our unity is founded upon. This is what happened in verse 13. It says, but now in Christ... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this wall of separation between God and people had come down. And consequently, the wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles came down as well. And now in verse 19, we read the result of that. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So being reconciled by the blood of Christ is how the church is formed. So we don't, we don't become a church by just deciding to come a church. We, we, we become a church because we are brought near to God and joined together with the people of covenantal promise by the blood of Christ. And there's a very important personal application to this truth. And we can't get this wrong. Now, I think it's tempting to replace the way that we are reconciled to God and join the church with all kinds of things other than the blood of Christ. So what I want you to hear is, is that our addition to the household of God, it didn't come from stepping outside of your comfort zone, coming to church, shaking hands and making some new friends and getting to know each other. It didn't come from filling out a connect card, although I hope you do. Um, it didn't, your addition to church, it didn't come from going to the men's retreats or the woman's coffee night or the membership class or even serving in the church. Now, those are all good things. And it's easy to do these things and have a good experience and walk away feeling like you're a part of something. And I hope you do. I hope you have that feeling. You should. 
But truly becoming a part of the church comes from being reconciled to God. That's the only way to enter the church. And you may be saying, okay, but how is this made personal to me? How do I, someone who by virtue of my birth is not a member of this church, you know, how is it I who am not a part of the family of God, how could I ever join into it? First John 1 John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is where it becomes personal. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you receive the free gift of salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ? And when you cross into that throne room of God to give an account for your life, which we all will do one day when we die, are you trusting that Jesus has forgiven your sins? All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs to be saved. So are you trusting in Jesus to forgive you and to be your righteousness? If you believe in Jesus to do this, then welcome to the family. Welcome to the church. And usually an invitation, um, an invitation to faith. It comes at the end of the sermon. Sorry, we're not there yet. But this is a really good time to do that now, because before we move on and talk about how we live out our salvation as the church, it's going to be of no value to you whatsoever if you have not been saved. So let me invite you to not be an observer looking over the wall, but to truly become a part of the church. So let's pray together for salvation for those who don't have it yet. Father God, Lord, thank you for the great plan of redemption and reconciliation that you made possible through the blood of Christ. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your goodwill to us and that it is your will that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, I ask that right here in this moment, in this room, that you would silence the enemy of our souls so that your word and your will would have free run in our hearts and minds this morning. God, by your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict us of our sinfulness, humble us, make us aware of our need for a Savior, and convince us that Christ's sacrifice is the only way to clear our debt of sin. God, I ask that you, the Lord of the harvest, would draw every unsaved person near to you and grant that they will receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you believe the gospel, whether for the first time at this moment or years ago, you are included in Christ. You are included in his church. And Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And then the rest of our text describes what it looks like to be included in Christ. And the first metaphor that Paul uses to, to uh, describe our inclusion is a city. He says that we are fellow citizens. Now, in the ancient Roman world, citizenship, it was immensely important. And there was all kinds of different levels of citizenship that people had. Uh, slaves in the Roman world... They did not have citizenship, and they weren't even acknowledged as people legally. And woman, 
Even if they were citizens, they had few, if any, legal rights. And for the men, depending on your class of citizenship, you could or couldn't vote. Maybe you couldn't own property, or you may not have even had the right to marry. And the point is that in Ephesus, all citizens were not equal. And those who had a higher status could lord it over those who were lower. But in Christ, in this new heavenly city, the Gentiles were, and we are, fellow citizens with the saints. Galatians 3.28 says this very clearly. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So it says we are one in Christ. We all have equal rights. We all have full access to the promises that God made to the nation of Israel. We are full citizens of the kingdom of God. And this wall of separation between and, and hostility between all nations, races, males, females, social classes, whatever, all those walls of division and hostility are removed because of Christ Jesus. Now, they're not removed by government policy. They're not removed by wokeness, but the walls come down in Christ Jesus alone. And all of us believers, no matter what separated us before, we all have a common history because now we share in the promises that God made to Abram. And we also have a common future because we look forward to sharing the promise of our future city as described in the book of Revelation. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So that's the benefit of our citizenship, a future with God himself in the city where there's going to be no more crying, no more mourning, no more tears, or even death. So if you're in Christ today, if you responded in faith to the gospel, you are part of the church and you are no longer a stranger or an alien to the promise that the heavenly Jerusalem will one day be your home. And if that wasn't enough, You know, we read in verse 19 that we are now a part of God's family. It says members of the household of God. So if you're a believer in Christ, you're not just one of the million faceless believers currently alive. You're not just another anonymous Christian in the long roll call of Christians throughout the ages. No, Paul, Paul reminds us that we are members of the household of God. We're part of God's family. We're counted as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, there's this ancient Jewish story about what family unity looks like. Now, i say right off the bat, it's not in the Bible, but it is a fictional story about two brothers, and they were also neighbors. So they each had a farm, and the older brother, he had this large family. And the younger brother, he wasn't married yet, and he had no children. And the two brothers, they loved each other very much. You know, they were always looking out for one another. And the older brother, he looked over to his younger brother's farm and he considered his situation. He said to himself, wow, 
farm life is hard. It's a lot of work to keep up with for one person. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to load up my, load up my um, grain sack here in the middle of the night, and I'm going to walk over to his farm, and I'm going to dump my grain into his bin. I've got people to help me out on the farm. He's got no one. I'm going to do this to help him out. So that's just what he did. And meanwhile, the younger brother, he looked over at his older brother's farm and said to himself, wow, my brother, he's got a lot of responsibilities. It's not just him he has to look out for like me. He's got a lot of mouths to feed. So the younger brother, he went to his grain bin, bagged up a sack of grain, brought it to the older brother's grain bin in the middle of the night and dumped it in. And this went on for weeks and weeks until one night they crossed paths in the middle of the night, you know, each with their own grain sacks on their backs. And they both realized what was happening, how they had been looking out for one another. And that's where they embraced. And according to the legend, this is when God looks down from heaven and he says, this spot of their embrace, this is the spot where I will choose to build my temple because my presence is most clearly known when brothers dwell together in love and unity. We love stories like this because it speaks to the reality that God uses us dwelling together in love and unity to make his presence known. And this is the part of the calling of the church. This is part of our mission. It's what we are made to do. It's God's design for us. It says in verse 22, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And then Paul expands on this truth because it isn't just love and goodwill that this temple is built upon. Paul says we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So this temple that we are being built into, it has three components. It has the foundation, which is the apostles and the prophets. It has the cornerstone who is Christ and it has the rest of the structure, which is being joined together. And that's us. So God's building a new temple and in it, he's enlisted the apostles and the prophets in the work of laying the foundation So once a foundation is built, it's done. You know, the apostles and the prophets, they have made their deposit of truth in the ground. They've delivered the faith once and for all, and it's unchanging. And once this metaphorical cement that they've laid down in the form of the gospels and the letters of the New Testament, once it's hardened, the foundation, the foundational teachings of the church are set, they're complete. There's never going to be another new foundation laid for the church. We're never going to put up an addition alongside the core teachings of the church. All teaching today, it's simply an exploration of what has already been revealed by God to the apostles and to the early New Testament prophets. And it's important to remember that now because in our day, in this age of postmodernism, of relativism and pluralism and the growth of unorthodox expressions of worship in the church that have no basis found in scripture, we have to remember that the true church, the only church is founded and grounded upon the teachings of the Bible. And this is why we take scripture seriously at faith. That's why we preach out of the text to make, to make sure that we stay closely tethered to scriptures. And that's why we encourage you to think deeply about these truths and read them for yourselves and order your lives around obeying the truths that are found in the Bible. And that way, 
You won't be blown every which way by whatever trendy uh, doctrine or spiritual trend happens to be in vogue. You'll stay anchored to the foundation that the gospel uh, was proclaimed by the apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation that the church is built upon. Now, however, even though the foundation is important, the most crucial of all the, stone, the stones is Christ himself. It says in verse 20, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the cornerstone, it was the first stone to be laid and the stone which defines the shape, the orientation and the size of the rest of the building. So Christ Jesus is the cornerstone and so it is Christ Jesus who defines the shape of our church. So the church is grounded upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, but these teachings, they must be understood in a way that maintains the centrality of Christ in all that we do here. They point to the fact that Jesus Christ is the center of the church, the most important part of it. So the foundation is laid in order to lay the cornerstone. And then Jesus becomes the stone upon which the church stands. His teaching and his example is the pattern that we model our spiritual life and our church upon. And then Paul goes on to say, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, joined together. He's formed this entirely new society, joined us together to form the church. Now it says that this structure is being joined together. So Paul is using the present tense here. That means that it's an ongoing process that we're all living out. And this is our collective sanctification. It's our being set apart for Christ as a group. And naturally, Humanly speaking, we tend to fragment. We tend to go our separate ways. But in Christ, we are continually being joined together. Well, sometimes, well, oftentimes, this leads to friction. But keeping with the metaphors us as living stones being joined together, Jesus, the builder, he sometimes needs to take off some of our rough edges so that we can fit next to each other into the space that he has created for us in his church. And the lesson that we need to learn you know, the sanding of our rough edges may not be comfortable, but that happens. Our sanctification happens as we are faced with the challenges of learning to love one another. And Paul gives us a picture of what this love looks like, love in action, by giving us the example of Christ. In Philippians, we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to only his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we need to put the interest and the needs of others above our own. That's what love is. Forget what Hollywood tells you. Love is looking after the interests of others. And that's how the citizens of God are to live. The citizens of the kingdom of God are to live. So just like those two farmer brothers who put each other first with their grain, we grow in love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we put the needs of others above our own. And in this unity, God comes to dwell in us, his church, this new temple of believers that he is building right here. And then Paul concludes this passage of thought with the words, in him you also. So this is a reminder that us, formerly those who were far off from the promises of God, 
you know, all that was wrong in the beginning of this passage, the alienation, the hostility, all that was wrong, all that hopelessness, all that has been dealt with by the blood of Christ. And now we have the converse of that, the opposite. It says, in him, you also are citizens of the city of God. In him, you also are members of the family, of the household of God. And in him, you also are being built, transformed, made into God's holy temple. And there's a great encouragement in knowing that he is our dwelling place. He is with us. The fullness of God dwelled in Jesus Christ and the fullness of Christ dwells in his body, the church, which is us. So even if God doesn't live in the literal church building, it's God's intention that his glory be seen pouring forth through us, through the people of faith. It's God's intention that his glory be seen when we're here together in this room and when we're scattered going about our lives separately. And so the question that I'd like to ask each of you this morning is, do you live? Do you live like you're a resident of the city of God? Do you know the history and the future of your spiritual city? It's all in the Bible right there for you to read. Do you live like you're members of the family of the household of God? Well, you can do this by speaking to your heavenly father in prayer at any time. He wants you to do that. And you can make gathering together with your brothers and sisters at the church a priority, a family priority. And do you see yourself as a living stone in the building of the church? Not just a witness to what the church is doing, not just here to be ministered to, but to pursue unity by selfless love and sacrificial service. I hope you do. I hope you can. I know you can because in Christ you are made new. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And then Paul goes on to give us the reason that we are made new. He gives us the mission of the church. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, making God makes his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So God is making that appeal of reconciliation through us his church, and I implore you first to be reconciled to God in Christ and then to live like it and then to take that message of reconciliation to those, God, to those that God has put in your path because we are, we are his ambassadors. We are his ministers of reconciliation. And God, as you do this, God is going to remain faithful to continue to build this church. Now, if God is speaking to you today, if you need somebody to pray with um, to help you take the next step or even the first step in following Jesus, come see me after service. I love to talk with you and I love to pray with you. All right, let's close our time together in prayer together. Lord God, I ask that you would be at work today in our hearts and in our minds so that we may not only see and understand your plan to reconcile people to you and to each other, but that we may realize, that we may believe 
that you are a personal God and that we would trust and accept that each of us has a personal place in your story of reconciliation. God, please make it so that these words of yours that we study are not just words, but that by your spirit, these would become transforming truths that are alive and at work in each of our lives. Lord God, may those who do not already know you take the next step in exploring this wonderful life-altering truth of being made right with you and help us to see what it is to live with a heavenly citizenship, to live with a heavenly family as we are being built into a holy temple for you to dwell. Amen. Amen.